Hi, this is Michelle Lassley with Balance Shared, a space where I truly believe we are better together. My guest today is Suzanne Carpenter. She uses the pronouns she, her, hers. Suzanne is an approachable, sincere, fun-loving, and passionate leader who loves to see personal improvement and transformation in those she teaches. Through her successful 10-year nutrition career, Suzanne saw a gap in the industry and a trend in society. Americans more confused and overwhelmed than ever when it comes to actually losing weight and keeping it off. So she created a virtual nutrition education company called Carpenter 180, whose mission is to provide affordable and simple programs that can clear up food confusion so that people can win at losing weight. Suzanne is a certified nutritional consultant, the CEO and founder of Carpenter 180, as well as the creator of SOS, Sue's On Your Shoulder, Babysit My Plate, and the Food Peace University, three different virtual bite-sized nutrition courses, and they were designed to teach you what you need to know uh, to create sustainable results. Thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, Michelle, it's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. You are welcome. So you like to talk all about food. I do. I do. Why? Why? <laughs> well, you know, I think it's it's been the thing that has always told on me my whole life. So what what you can't see right now is I'm six foot two, and I have been tall most of my life. Uh, so I go into middle school even, and I was probably nearing six feet. I think at a young age, I started trying to fit into a box. And since I could not with my height, I was so outside the box, it became a struggle and battle with food of could I keep my my body in, in check to fit in a box in a different way. And it was always this elusive subject I was unsuccessful with for years. Um, at one point before I ever had kids, I bounced up to 226 pounds and that was in the throes of an eating disorder where I would binge or I would restrict, restrict, restrict only to binge wasn't Mm. working. And so in that time I had a different obsession with food. I thought about food all the time. I feared it. And then as life has it, it throws curveballs that led me into finally understanding it. And I just want people to know it's not about what pant size you're wearing and it's not about vanity, but it is truly about understanding food to find food peace um, so that you are so empowered. You like how you look and feel that you go out and you create this life where you're dynamic and you're bold and you're confident and you don't feel like the underdog. And just it's food was the thing that kept me from living my best life. It kept me Mm -hmm. held back. So fascinating. And this happens a lot. And I think in our society, I know at least I read about how media impacts girls Mm. and how, how that can lead to misperceptions about what our images should be and all these different things. So I'm curious if we could step back for a minute, if you could envision a world where people didn't have issues, if you will, with food, what would that look like? You know, I have this mind, this mind where, especially with women, there's a lot more authentic showing up with less fear, with less reservation and holding back. Back this a little bit. 
the reason we're comparing, especially women, especially that's who to mostly we compare and that social media feeds this because it's really, it's more of a primal thing. And when I understood this, it unlocked one of the many doors I needed unlocked because back when we were in the paleolithic time, time, the men would go hunt and the women would stay back in the cave around the fire, baking the food, littles, we were gathered and we needed to fit into our pack. We needed to conform into the pack for survival and stay in. Out the norm, if you conform in, you could be kicked out of the pack and you likely wouldn't survive. There's a lot of that in that really primal place about women looking to others for comparison to see how I measure up. Am I safe? Am I going to stay in the pack? That's where a lot of it, maybe not even in a cognitive level, that's where a lot of it starts. So fascinating. So when you think of like, then just going back to that vision of what that would look like, can you paint a picture of what it would look like if we didn't feel the need maybe to conform to the pack? Well, I, my picture is, is like a feeling picture in colors. We're going to have all different shapes and sizes. There's not going to be one. It's, it's kind of like anything goes the uniform feeling is, are you healthy? Do you have energy to do you and what your life requires of you? But there's not a one size, one look is considered better or more preferred than the other. It's you, your body is allowed to show up the way that it's supposed to. It's just, I, I can see in the eyes of people, I'm not enough. I'm not good enough. I don't measure up. I'm, I feel inferior to, I feel less than, I feel like an underdog. I want to play a part of erasing that emotional part. And if I can make that part easier so Uh that we get to a real level emotional playing field, we're going to go do some really great things because I know a lot of incredible women that their self image holds them trapped and they have no business being trapped because they're powerful and they have this voice and they have this thing that they're supposed to be doing. But that one thing keeps them from doing it and it's robbing the world of what it needs. Oh my gosh. That's so awesome. Okay. I am like saying this beautiful rainbow picture. So there's two things that you mentioned that could be like good measures. And I'm hoping we can dig into that for a little bit first, before we get into some other things. One is that uh, you said that we feel healthy in our bodies and that we have enough energy to do the things we need to do. So uh, my husband, let's take him for example. He at one point was a floor mechanic at the local transit authority. And so buses Mm -hmm. and he does not like to stay still. And so when he was in that job, he would easily clock in like on a low day, 15,000 steps. Usually it was closer to 20 to 30,000 steps. Mm -hmm. Now me, I work from home in our tiny, so we live in Portland, Oregon, right? So our tiny little 758 square foot house, we have one (sighs) set of stairs. And so for me, like an average, like pretty, even when I was going for a walk in the park, that was a mile, I would, it would say, it would still be hard for me to get 5,000 steps a day. Sure. (laughs) Because mm-hmm. it's a tiny house, you know, you're taking little baby steps and that sort of thing. So I've got three to 5,000 steps a day. And at the time, he has he moved to a desk job, so it's not the same now. But at the time, he would easily clock in, like, I think the average was like 28,000 steps a day. He, he hit that a lot. 
So we're going to need very different energy to go through the day. So given mm-hmm. that sort of broad um, range, what should a person look for when they can know that they have enough energy to get through their day? Well, I think that that is knowing your body. Like, you know, Mm -hmm. you should be able to really, okay, let's talk about physical hunger and emotional hunger. And then you can decide if you're, because there's some, so physical hunger is like when you're sitting at your desk and you actually hear your belly growl, or you can feel the gnawing feeling. That's, that's actually kind of cool. It's science. The reason you can hear your belly growling is because there's no food in it to buffer. That means probably time to eat. Okay. (laughs) One way you can know probably time to eat. Now, the other one is, let's say you just came home and you were thinking about the grass and uh, it's going to rain later. You were thinking those things. And all of a sudden you need peanut butter, like came on like a light switch. That's emotional hunger. Maybe there's something underneath that. Like you just walked in the door and you, the to-do list ran through your brain or you have something you need to do later in the day. That's a little uncomfortable. And suddenly your body went, Hey, 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 I'm going to keep you safe from feeling uncomfortable. Let's go get some peanut butter. That's going to make you feel safer right now. It's going to, it's what your brain's doing. That's emotional hunger. So if we can tap into emotional hunger comes on really, really fast, often it's soon after a meal that you've just eaten. Physical hunger is your belly is growling. As for what you need to eat, that's that's a little bit subjective based off of what are their goals. Are they wanting just to have great energy through the day? And they're they're at a they don't ever think about the number on the scale. Like that's just not a thing. So if they're eating food that fuels them and they're feeling good we're winning. Now, the thing is two out of three Americans are overweight. One out of three is obese. The problem is not the vanity. It's that oftentimes every 10 pounds is a layer of pain that we're avoiding. And oftentimes overweight leads to health problems that are very expensive to reverse. For instance, heart disease or hypertension or diabetes or inflammation in the body that leads to GI distress or autoimmune responses. So again, it's it's about are we eating that serve us and let us serve the world. Oh, that's so fascinating. Okay. So um, the reason I wanted to s- go with the enough energy was I was hoping we could like, just get like a guidepost of like, if somebody's generally feeling okay. And so, um, so we'll t- table that for a second. I want to go back to this emotional versus physical uh, uh, hunger. Cause I thought that was really great description. So I ate my breakfast about two hours ago at this point. Mm-hmm. And right now I'm feeling a slight knowing in my tummy, like I'm going to start to get hungry soon. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, so that is probably what you would describe then as the very physical. It's my belly's not growling yet, but it's starting to, you know, it's not a pain. I mean, although we call it a hunger pain, but I'm, I'm not in pain. Right. Uh, so that, that's what you would call physical hunger, I would assume. Yeah. 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 And so just depending on how big your breakfast was or mm-hmm. what it was comprised with is how long you'll probably go easily without starting to have blood sugar spike and crash and mm-hmm. sustained energy. Right. And so then the emotional hunger, like, I just want to go back to that again. So yeah. uh, for me, it's usually 
around nine o'clock at night. And I want, yes, at night, Mm -hmm. very specifically at night and all day long. Cause like, I, I like to make my green smoothies right now. We eat more kind of whole 30, but not always. Cause I do have egg noodles and things, you know, and, um, mm-hmm. we've worked on different things over the years, but so I might've had like a really great, mostly salad with some meat burrito kind of thing for dinner. And maybe I had my green smoothie and some vegetables and things. And so on one vein, you could say eat, ate really well throughout the day. Right. But then nine o'clock hits and all I want is chocolate. Yes. <laughs> Not hungry mm-hmm. at all. Physically hungry. Well, a couple things. One, your body's probably telling you it's tired and it wants energy because it's tired. And it knows if you give it chocolate, it's going quick energy because it's a carbohydrate. It'll fast. It'll give you energy. So probably that late in the night snack, if you've eaten enough calories for the day, your body's just tired. And that's why people start snacking because your brain is sending you for energy. Another thing is, did you know that your willpower is at its highest in the morning, it's lowest at nighttime, your metabolism is at its highest in the morning, it's slowest at nighttime. So I, for years when I was in my poor eating cycle, I would myself all day because I made these food rules and I thought I'm, I'm going to really keep these low, but then my lizard brain, the, the one that doesn't respond to takes over and by the day I would eat all these calories. Well, here my metabolism is low. My willpower is very low and I'm tired. My body really just wants to go to bed and I didn't have enough calories. One of the scariest things that I had to do was I had to first realize that my way wasn't working to be willing to try something different. That took a while. That takes a while to really accept my way is not getting me where I want to go. It doesn't seem like somebody else's way should work, but maybe I need to give it a try. That took me a while to cross that bridge. But when I did, I was willing to start eating food (laughs) during the day. Breakfast, lunch, bridge snack, and dinner. Bridge snack to ruin my dinner. And what I found is my body was fed and fueled during the day. And those cravings that I did not have the willpower to battle suddenly went down because I had the fuel in me. My body was not taking over. That takes a while for that to make sense. Oh my gosh, that's so fascinating. And you have tools for that, which we mentioned at the beginning, and then we'll definitely link all to all of that. Uh, I want to take a quick break. And when we come back, I want to know um, how you learned all this stuff. Sure. I love aligning my days with nature's rhythms, and I made a tool to make it easier. I would like to introduce you to my moon deck. My moon deck is a perpetual calendar, a calendar that never expires. This 86-card deck with booklet will allow you to lay out your day, week, or month and overlay the sun and the moon with the elements and the celebrations from the wheel of the year. This tool, drawn and created by me, Michelle Lassley, will be your fun, whimsical, and practical tool to see how nature and its rhythms can support you. If you want to learn more and get your own deck today, visit www.michellelassley.com moondeck. 
I can't wait to help you align your time with nature with my perpetual calendar, the Moon Deck. Welcome back. So when I chat with people, I'm really always really fascinated, like how they decided to amass the knowledge they they got. And so I'm curious if you could touch on a little bit, like you mentioned, you know, you recognized not great eating habits with food. And you've shared with me before that you wanted to model a better uh, relationship with that for your own kids. And I'm really curious, like, so then, so then how did you get all this knowledge? You know, you think like I do. I love the origin stories too, of how did you get to right here? So Mm -hmm. in a nutshell, when I, when I graduated from Michigan State University, I started out teaching first grade and I, I picked up this, I just had this knack where I could always take complex science and explain it in a way that a first grader could understand it. And I think it comes from those years of that training. Okay, so here I am in the throes of this eating disorder that I need to say was my greatest shame. And it kept me in, I picture like, a dog cage. I wanted out so badly. I was in this tight little cage, but I didn't know how to unlatch it. But my way was the only way I knew. So that's why I would start reading about nutrition, but I wasn't reading the right sources. A lot of it at that time was magazines. Mm. So I'm doing the best that I can just to maintain my weight. Now, like I said, at one point I weighed 226 pounds. I got down to about 130 pounds by starving myself. And oh my gosh. Yeah. So, and then I learned that I could um, exercise as a way to outrun my fork. Now that does not work. I don't want anyone being triggered here thinking that this is the way to do it. It's a path to misery, tired, shaky, hungry all the time. So I was looking for, I was looking for help or I wanted to know, so scared to say what I was doing to myself out loud. I did not tell anybody. So for the people that are listening going, that's me. I know that fear because we make this into a great big shame monster and it, it had a grip on me. So here's the answer to your question. I was asked, uh, you say you would die for your kids, but we change for them. And I have two girls and two boys. And I thought, if I don't get this eating disorder under control and get this self-talk under control, my girls are going to do the same thing as me. And I could not stand the idea that they look in the mirror and talk to like I was. I would never let them hear somebody speak to me the way I spoke to myself. And I sure would never speak to them that way. And that question suddenly made my way seem very illogical. And it made me willing, and this is for the listeners that are in the shame trap that I was in, made me willing to talk to myself about it. Because like I said, I hid this from everyone. No one knew. And then I journaled about it. And then I reached out to dietitians and therapists and counselors. I told the first person was somebody I was paying, a counselor, because I figured that relationship wasn't that expensive. I was afraid if I told my secret that I'd be so unlovable and unlikable, I'd lose the relationships that I had worked so hard to have because I was fighting insecurity, the underdog, I'm not enough, I'm not worthy. I was trying to measure up. I mean, That was the root of a lot of what I was going through. So in sitting with the right dietitians and sitting with people who could turn my nose towards science, that's where, I mean, I just, it's one of those things that I can just 
read it and learn it and know it. It's just a sweet spot for me. And when I finally got to the principles that are not hard, that mm-hmm. we just need protein, fat, and fiber on our plate. Fiber is a zero calorie part to our carbohydrates. So we're getting carbs, which are the energy. But if we focus on the fiber, it'll rev your metabolism, keep you full for hours, help usher extra calories, fats, and toxins out of the body. It has so many health properties that I could address, but I saw that it was going to burn a lot of calories. wouldn't have to outrun anymore with exercise. I saw that I could put fiber on my plate and balance my blood sugar and turn off hungry hormones. And I wasn't going to be battling the pantry. And then when I understood that exercise was part of the healthy living equation, but not part of weight loss equation, it, it's part of healthy living and I have a huge platform for it, but it is not part of the weight loss. Once I separated those things, I began to create a pattern of eating that I saw that I could do when I was 80. And I never, Michelle, planned to tell story. But then what happened is that messy message I had, I was so glad to get out of the cage and to lay off the shame. And I feel like I walk in the light and the sunshine. I'm so glad to have my voice and to be able to pour into others. I couldn't hold it back because it's not so hard when done correctly. You just need the right teacher to carve out the noise. And that's what I've worked to do. Oh, that's so beautiful. So you've been able to see the light, if you will. I mean, pardon any, any puns or anything. And, and now you're really inspired to share this. And I have a, a couple friends who are really good at explaining to science to those of us like me who don't easily understand it. So that gift is so crucial, especially when it comes to food. We have so much food stuff. So one of the things that I love is that we both grew up in Michigan. Mm-hmm. And I come from a Polish Catholic family. So I remember cabbage rolls and, and my, my grandmother wasn't uh, Polish, but she had to, she learned to cook it in the, the traditional foods that my grandfather liked. And so I do, I remember cabbage rolls and they lived on a farm and they gardened and so canned green beans and mm-hmm pickled beets and uh you know the cows that we ate were from from that space and so much homemade bread and every time if we got to grandma's house around three o'clock there was always like cookies on the like fresh baked cookies right that she had just made and she had a it was a garbage pail it was one of those um metal garbage cans and that was what she stored her flour in and it had the sifter in there. And, but it was, you know, it was a, a container that was large enough that could fit easily 50 pounds of flour. Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that's, that's like one spot of remembering of growing up. And then I go, my mother, so pendulum swing, she doesn't like to cook. And for a long time, she was a single mom mm-hmm. and had to work and uh, would come home and be tired. And so talk about emotional, emotional drain, right? All the pressure and everything. And so for many of my growing up years, I remember eating so much hamburger helper, (sighs) so much tuna helper, (laughs) so much mac and cheese, endless peanut butter and jam sandwiches, lucky charms. You know, my kid Mm -hmm. has never had lucky charms. I grew (laughs) up on lucky charms. (laughs) And, um, 
anyway, so I guess I'm, I'm bringing those two sort of examples because we have a lot of ways that we can eat food mm-hmm. I mentioned, you know, I live in Portland, Oregon. So we're like one of these great places that love to try new foods, paleo, whole 30, gluten-free, the gaps diet. I mean, sure. the list goes on. So how, how do you help people define, you were talking about nutrition. Um, uh, you, you said protein, fiber and fat. Mm -hmm. So is that like the base of what you go to help establish energy? And then like, where do you go from there to help people figure out nutrition for their body? Cause I would imagine that's a little different depending on the body. You know, I mentioned like my husband, right? He's, you know, six, two, I'm five, two, I'm a little round. He's not. Right. We have different needs. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's very true. So first off, um, all food with the exception of alcohol breaks down into Mm -hmm. one of three categories, a protein, a fat, or a carbohydrate. All food does. So my apples, my sausages, anything. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All of it. So then our bodies need all three of those different macronutrients because they have essential nutrients within them. And it just, it's part of our function. So what's happened in America, especially, is food is omnipresent and portion sizes are crazy. I want to say that food is neither good nor bad. It's just food eaten in excess, especially carbs eaten in excess, is what leads to body fat. For those of those that are looking for weight loss, and that's usually who I'm speaking to. So what we look to do is create a pattern of eating that somebody can do now that they see themselves doing when they're 80. Because if we have not adopted a pattern of eating that is longevity, we haven't gotten there. If you have to do something to lose weight, like say, take out your favorite food, uh, take out alcohol, if you want to have a glass of wine at night, if you take out chocolate to lose weight, when you get to the end of that goal, odds are and you reintroduce that thing you love, you're going to gain the weight back. And we don't want to do the yo-yo dieting. We want to get the weight off and then maintain the weight for the rest of your life. So what I look to do in the very beginning is teach protein, fat, and fiber, educate, literally educate. So I made this program called SOS or Sue's on your shoulder. These are two to three minute sound bites that come to the text message of your phone, one message a day. And it's meant to just teach you in the right sequence, what you need to know in the beginning, start with what is a protein? What is a fat? What is a fiber? Where do you begin to find them? It builds out from really basic place, like get the right groceries in the house and let's mm-hmm. get a space for you in the fridge and in the pantry. What I've worked I've already feel like I've started to say a lot, you know, that feeling when you've studied for a big exam or a test and you've got all the books on your desk and you're overwhelmed before the test. Like, I don't know what I need to know. It's so much, you know, that feeling like, uh-huh. it's just overwhelming. And then you go take the test and you swear you can feel the information leaking out of your ears. As soon as the test is done, like it's leaving nutrition feels like that to so many people. It's not that important of a subject to go through textbooks to learn what the truth is. It's too much. It's too overwhelming to go back to that feeling. Likewise, if I sat here for an hour and camped out on nutrition, most people are going to remember one thing that tugged on their heart. 
And it's probably going to be the fact that I used to have an eating disorder. I'm still recovering. I will be for the day I die. And I changed because I wanted to do right by my daughters. That'll be the thing they remember. So I built out a program that works with teaching. Like, here's what you need to know losing weight. And once I begin to educate and people begin to just apply like the first weeks, they start sleeping better, energy's better, their stomach is flatter, they're noticing that they aren't having the blood sugar spike and crash. And you genuinely are starting to feel good. And so many people feel bad. I know how that is. That when we start to go past education, then you get empowered and you can start to understand how to order in a restaurant. And what foods to buy at the grocery store, what foods to put on your plate so that you can balance blood sugar and burn fat for fuel. And then once you're empowered, then it goes on to being inspired. And this is where the magic happens. That's where the person that's that's gotten these fundamental principles is teaching their children or their neighbor or their best friend. And it's not woo-woo food stuff. It's the basics of what we really should have been taught when we were young. Mm Mm-hmm. Oh. I love all of that. Okay. So some of the things that I've heard is that, uh, so, so having the nutritional understanding is great, but if we don't get to the emotional roots of why we are emotionally eating that sometimes what we're going to do isn't just, it's not going to get resolved because we have to, we have to dig deeper. If you could just expand on that a little bit, I think that would be Really, yeah. really great. This is the really fascinating part because will, willpower is kind of finite. We only have so much of it. It's like a battery. So we have to get to really discussing the emotional part. And that takes a little bit of time and trust. So normally, Michelle, I get permission with people to get to the emotional things once we've gotten a couple pounds off, you know, because right away you want to stop the bleeding and you want to start winning. And so once we get to where somebody understands the right portion size of protein for their plate, a little bit of fat, they have pro- they have fiber on their plate, they're understanding that fiber is going to keep them full, and then it's going to really kick their metabolism into overdrive. Once we start to get that, then we go to the emotional, and this is the part that I get so fascinated by. We as humans have what's called the feeling spectrum. Now, picture your left hand and pretend like you're going to put it on the stove, a hot stove. You couldn't keep it there. That Mm -hmm. side represents extreme pain, and we want to get away from it. Now, your right hand, picture putting that on the table, and that's equally something good and happy that you can't sustain. Like, say the endorphins from working out. Okay, so Mm -hmm. this is the feeling spectrum, far left to far right. We as humans want to move away from the far left. So when we're feeling emotionally fatigued, overwhelmed, uncertain, stressed, shame, uh, boredom. Um, oh, I don't know. It could be any number of poor feelings. We will do just about anything to move away from it. Now there's things that we can do that will give you an endorphin rush that society frowns upon, say, uh, excessive drinking, drugs, Mm -hmm. speeding, Mm -hmm. stealing, you know, any of those things, but those will move you away from the pain. They'll give you an endorphin rush. The one that's acceptable is eating and overeating. Now, like I said before, food is omnipresent and it's, it's the portion sizes are huge. So let's say you have a stressful day at work or a relationship goes south and you're feeling sad or stressed and you want to, your body, you start thinking, Hmm, I'm going to need some Ben and Jerry's or some pretzels. Mm -hmm. 
The reason for this is much more biology that you're trying to numb that pain or you're trying to move away from that pain. And that food, while you're eating it, will temporarily cover up the pain it is you're feeling and you'll focus on the food and the um, endorphins you get from that. The problem is the food is finite. There's going to come a point where the ice cream is gone or at your bottom of the chip bag. And what happens next is your blood sugar will crash and it's kind of like the numb went away and your pain is still there. But now we also have the feeling of regret and our stomach hurts and the blood sugar crash and, and plummet, which we all know feels terrible. So emotionally, why are we going to food? What problem is the food temporarily solving? That becomes the question to ask when you're not in an emotional spiral. So when I start working with clients, like I'll work with people one-on-one, we'll start ahead of time talking about, okay, next time you start, you know, like just standing at the counter munching on cookies, can you pause and ask yourself why? Are you bored? Are you trying to use time uh, to avoid doing an email you don't want to write? Uh, are the kids running around screaming and you can feel just stress and you're trying to just quiet it by eating cookies? That's a normal thing that people do. If we can figure out what pain food is covering up, that is incredibly enlightening and it's a good question to ask. And it's not one that we're taught to ask ourselves. Mm, no, we are not. Not at all. Oh my gosh. Uh, Okay, I want to dig more into that emotion bit, and I am at a loss of a question to ask. So can you peel back, I guess, another layer to that? You really like that one. That's a good one, isn't it? It is. Mm -hmm. Well, okay, so emotional eating, how about we talk about why we're emotionally eating and going after food? So picture in your mind's eye couple of your comfort foods. Maybe your listeners are doing the same thing. Like, what are my foods that I really love to go eat? My bet is that all of them, if not at least one of them, is a food you ate as a child. And the Mm. reason you're going to those foods is for most people, their childhood is a symbol of a time where you were cared for, you felt safe, you felt secure, you felt um, less stress and pressure. And that food is taking you back to a time in your life that was easier. And that's why we're turning to comfort food. It's a white Christmas. Yes. Yes. But the problem, like think about Christmas, you know, right after comes January when people get the blahs because the lights come down and you have to face the bills because of all the presents that you bought to have the white Christmas moment. That's the same thing that happens after the comfort food eating or the overeating or the binging that happens. The thing we have to do is we have to start with winning the first third of the day, like get that first meal in that's good, that's protein, fat, and fiber, so your blood sugar is balanced. Then it's likely that you're, because you have balanced blood sugar, you're likely to go into the second third of the day doing a good job. Like we have to start this thing with baby steps, suddenly waking up and deciding I'm going to be perfect today for the rest of my life is that's a lot of pressure. This is creating a lifestyle and it is something where we have to fail forward. We have to do it bad. Perfect. I called the carpenter 180 for a reason. Carpenters build things and we're building a lifestyle happens to be, that's my last name, but 180 because we're making a 180 degree turn in most people's lifestyles by beginning to learn how to eat food 
And it has to be one intentional decision for a good 80 days because it takes about 66 days to make a habit. We didn't mm-hmm. get here overnight. We're not going to get out of here overnight. It's going to take failing forward and doing it bad perfect and learning. A lot like we had to learn our multiplication facts. We have to practice. We have to keep trying. But I know that people on the day they die do not want to still be struggling with this one thing. And mm-hmm. success leaves clues. And mm-hmm. He's been successful in some other area of life, whether it is relationship, a business, a skill set with a sport, taking a test. You've applied discipline and compromise successful in those areas. You can have success in creating something here as well. We just have to pull in the compromise and discipline into the food realm as well. Oh my gosh. So I think, unfortunately, that we're out of time. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it went fast. <laughs> it always does. Uh, I so love all of this bits of information. Uh, I want to plug the January 2020 podcast I did, one of the podcasts I did on the new year where I was talking about small in. So where we where we have small manageable goals that we can achieve instead of go big or go home, which can often lead to failure just as a backup to what you were saying there. Uh, I am so thrilled that you were here. What's one parting piece of knowledge you would like our listeners to take away from today? Okay. Uh, Two things real quick. One, drink your water. Just, I'm such a boring mom. Get your three liters of water in because water can make you think you're hungry. We need to stay hydrated. Huge on that. Second thing is today is a really great day to start. And it can be in the middle of the day. It doesn't have to be start perfect in the morning. Just get started because consistency compounds. Consistent action over time yields great results. And you eat an elephant one bite at a time. So we just need to start. And when done correctly, you could look up three months from now and feel entirely different. And that's my wish for people is that they don't feel the food stress, the um, uncertainty that I'm playing small, I'm an underdog. I want to help people get back in control of that emotional um, battlefield that so many of us play in. And I know a lot of it is related back to how people feel about themselves. Mm. So awesome. Where can people find you? Okay, so everything is carpenter O-N-E-8-0. So Carpenter 180, you just have to spell the word one. Instagram, Carpenter 180, Facebook, and then the website is www.carpenter180.com. And they can go um, seven free days of SOS right at the website. Give it a give it a try. See if it's a fit for you. I'm going to, instead of like the 17-page grocery list, I've got a simple grocery list that you can actually use. And recipe ideas and snack ideas coming your way just to help get things on track. I love Instagram though and the highlights and stories because I can role model how I eat during the day. So you can see it's normal food. It's pretty delicious. My family's in tow and I just try and lead from the front and show what it's like to do this because it's not hard. Oh, thank you. Suzanne, so much for joining me today and sharing all of your wisdom and breaking it down for us. I am so grateful you are here. It was my pleasure. Thank you for having me. You're welcome.
Balance Shared is produced and edited by me, Michelle Astley. The instrumental music, Grass, by Silent Partner, is from the YouTube Audio Library. If you've enjoyed today's episode, leave a review, especially on Apple Podcasts. If you've loved the messages of co-creating a better future and digging into ourselves, maybe you'd like to become a supporter. Email hello at michellelastly.com to get your sponsorship guide. Thank you for listening to this podcast. This is Michelle Lastly with Balance Shared, a space where I truly believe we are better together. 